0: Good morning. Uh, My name's Dean. I'm one of the members here at Good News. Erica, I want to apologize up front. I was raised by an auctioneer. And so, uh, hang on. Hey, uh, um, if you have your study, you you can look into it. And uh, on today, we're going to see the power of an encourager. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. And if you're new or visiting to Good News, it's important that you understand that we believe the Bible is God's revealed word to us. And so we love to open the Bible and see truth in a world filled with lies. It is so refreshing to see truth about who God is, about who we are, and about how life works, as well as the Bible reveals to us Jesus. And we love to look at Jesus and see his beauty and glory. And as we've been walking through the book of Colossians, we've thought a lot about Jesus. And so today we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 9. And so the point today is really simple. It's this, that encouraged people encourage people. And so we're going to jump right to the action point. I'm going to start with the end in mind here, that the action point we're going to give you at the end is really simple, that this week you would be encouraged and that you would be an encourager. You know, the word encourage is an interesting word. It's really simple. It just has two parts, in and courage. That, that it literally means to infuse courage into, to breathe courage into others. It's the opposite of the word discourage, to suck courage out of people. You know, one of the other reasons I love the Bible is that it matches up to reality. It's not a fairy tale. It's not the way we wish it was. It's the way reality works. And what God knows is that this life is scary and hard, and we need courage to keep going. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Let's pray. Daddy, thank you that we could be here together this morning. We pray that you would bless Pastor Smiley as he enjoys um, making disciples among his grandchildren. And Father, I pray this morning uh, you know, I'm not talking to somebody that doesn't understand. You walked this earth, and you know how hard and scary it is and how much courage is required. And so I pray today that you would breathe courage into us. And, Lord, that you would catalyze us to go into this world as salt and light and breathe courage into others for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At different times in my life, I've kind of had a reputation for being an adventurer and for uh, being courageous. But my wife would tell you that I'm actually far more timid than most people realize. But in my life, I've surrounded myself with adventurers, People who breathe courage into me. People who lead the way. People who call me to do hard things. And I want to tell you a story about one of those occasions. So I've got this friend named Mark Chu, and he flew me over to Australia. And when we got there, we hooked up with a mutual friend named Brett Davis, or BD. And BD spent several days trying to kill us. And so on one particular day, we were on our way to swim into the cave of death. And before we got there, we pulled off the road into a parking lot at a place called Kiama Blowhole. And as we pulled in, there was a fence and there were people taking pictures. And we got out of the car and Brett said, Okay, mates, get your wetsuits on. We've got to move quick because when we climb over the fence, somebody's going to call the cops. And I thought, that's interesting. I don't see anybody else wearing wetsuits to take pictures. Um, and w- what is it we're doing here? And what Brett had envisioned for us... Was this, that we would climb over the fence that probably was a sign we weren't supposed to go there, and we would jump into a blowhole. And then we would swim through a cave into the shark infested oceans of Australia, at which point we would climb up a cliff and run for the car before the cops could get there. I realized at that point that Australia is the only country that a qualifier to get in is that you have a criminal record. And it was at that moment that I thought, I think I'm about to get my citizenship. And so I just want to show you a real quick video. I'm running the camera, but you can see what BD got us into. It's interesting that whether you have the heart of an adventurer like BD or are more timid and cowardice uh, like me, it really doesn't matter because the reality is this life is an adventure. It is scary. It is hard. And you may be here today in the midst of something difficult or it may be coming tomorrow. But the reality is life is scary and hard and an adventure whether you want it to be or not. And we need people who will come alongside us and breathe courage into us and call us to do hard things and lead the way. And so today, we're going we're gonna to think about being encouraged and being an encourager. And so I want to go to Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. And let's read this. As to all my affairs, Tychicus... We're going to call him Ty. That's a little easier. As to all my affairs, Ty, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about the circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He goes on to say, and I'll read this part to you, that he's also sent Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. And so one of the things, if you know anything about the Bible, you probably know that Paul stood strong, but he didn't stand alone. He had a band of men and women around him who breathed courage in him to keep going. And some of them were adventurers by nature, and some were adventurers by circumstance, but they were all adventurers by the call of God. And Paul stood strong, but he didn't stand alone. And before we move forward, I need to pause and address some bad news, some bad news. You may be here this morning and you may be aware of this, or you may be oblivious to it, but you may be sitting here this morning and you're alone. The world lies and says, oh no, we're not alone, we're all God's children. No, we're not. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says none of us enter this world God's children. But God is really keen on adoption. And the bad news is you may be here this morning alone, but the good news is you don't have to be any longer. That we never, never have to be alone. That we can stand with God and with one another. You see, God is unique and different from every being in the universe. In fact, one way is that God is the only creator. He wasn't created. Every other being in the universe was both seen and unseen is created by God. And so he is unique and different. And God created us to be his family as humans, that we would never be alone, that we would stand with him and one another. But in our foolishness, we pushed him aside and said, I think I know better. You say, don't lie. I'll lie if it's beneficial. I mean, have you looked at tax codes, you know? He says sex belongs in marriage, a covenant marriage between a man and a woman, and we say I'll use sex however I want. He says honor your father and mother. We say I will when it's convenient. We push him aside. And it reminds me of this phase that children go through. If you've had kids, you've seen this. If you're an aunt or uncle, you think it's cute. It's not. Um... It's that phase your kids get into when you're loving and trying to help them and they push you aside and say, no, me do, me do. And you're like, bro, that's not even possible. You can't fly. And they're like, no, me do. You don't know how to tie your shoes and we're late for church already. Just let me do it. No, me do. That phase, that's what we did to God. We pushed him out and said, I know better. No, me do. And we lived our life how we want and the Bible tells us in Romans three twenty three that for all have sinned we have all missed God's mark and pushed him aside and you say well you know I'm a pretty good person well yeah you're a good person compared to me you're a great person compared to me but I'm not the standard God's using he is the standard is perfection in fact in Matthew 5 Jesus said unless you are perfect you cannot see God so we are really in a mess but God. Again, God is not like us. He's not like anyone else. He is unique, and He is so good and so kind and so loving that in the face of our rebellion and betrayal, He said, I love you, and I promise I will fix this. The problem was that to resolve the issue required that one that was perfect take the place of those that weren't and pay the ultimate price And you don't got to be a rocket surgeon to look around and realize that there ain't none perfect. You might be good compared to me, but you ain't perfect. And so again, God, in his uniqueness, said, I love you so much, I will be the one. And so he wrapped himself in a flesh suit, and he walked in the dirt of our world. And he fulfilled every requirement to obtain perfection. And he was perfect. And then he went to the cross And there, he didn't pay the ultimate price for his crimes because he was perfect. He paid the ultimate price for my crimes and for yours. And he offers to trade you, to give you his perfection, that you might stand before your creator, clothed, robed, perfect, and that he would take your rebellion, every thought, word, and deed, where you pushed God aside and said, No, me do! And pay for it with his death. And three days later he rose from the grave to prove that his payment because of his perfection was enough. And in him walking out of that grave, we have the hope that one day we will too. But in John 1.12, it tells us, yet to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Not a child of God, but children of Together, no longer alone in relationship with him and one another. Never to be alone again. But only to those who received, to those who believed. And so what does that look like? Well, for most people, they still believe, well, I'm a a pretty good person. You know, I'll I'll just try harder. Or I'll get real religious. doesn't even matter what religion. They'll give me a list of rules, and I'll do their rules, and I'll go to church a lot. I'll give money. I'll help old ladies across the street. I think that's a tenet of all religions, right? And so I'm going to do that, and, like, this would be great. But let's pull back the curtain and look at the heart of that thinking. Behind all of that is still a foolish little child stomping their feet, yelling, me do. I'll fix it. No, God, you don't fix it. I'll fix it. That's the original problem. And yet we continue in this direct offense to God of saying, maybe my good will outweigh my bad. Maybe me do. And what we need is a change of mind where we stop thinking me do and we start thinking God do. We stop believing, I'm a good person, me do. And we start believing, God do. Jesus lived perfect. We stop believing, me do, that I can overcome this. I can fix this. And we start believing, God do. That at the cross, Jesus paid that I could be forgiven. That we stop believing that if we try harder, me do, I can do this. And we start believing, God do, I need Jesus to live through me. To be the human God created me to be. And so the bad news is this. Uh, you may have come here, you know, a little groggy, a little coffeeed up, and uh, some geek up on the stage is telling you, man, you're all alone. But here's the great news of the gospel. Just like Paul didn't stand alone, you don't have to either. Today, you can have a change of mind from me do to God do. And so let's jump back into Colossians here in Colossians chapter 4. And it says in Colossians 4 that this guy, Tychicus, or Ty. um, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. So who's this guy, Tychicus? Well, Tychicus is an interesting guy. uh, um, And we know a little bit about him. Paul says here that he is a beloved brother. He's mentioned five times in the New Testament. And he's a guy, he, he doesn't just say, this is one of my co-workers. He's a beloved brother. He's a foxhole friend. They have journeyed the dangerous roads of the Roman Empire together. They've done hard things together. They've lived by faith and seen Jesus work through them. Tychicus and Paul are beloved brothers fellow adventurers it reminds me of what a w tozer said about god that god doesn't have favorites but he does have intimates and paul one of his intimates was ty and i bet he probably had a nickname for him and he goes on to say that tychicus is a faithful servant that he's humble loyal trustworthy at least two different occasions Tychicus is sent to fill in in churches where the pastors have to go elsewhere. And those are churches led by Timothy and Titus. Those guys are legends. And it's Tychicus who's sent because he's trustworthy. He's a loyal servant. In this moment, Tychicus and Onesimus have been entrusted with the job of carrying three letters. They're carrying the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, and the book of Ephesians as they deliver these to these cities. Paul trusted Tychicus. He was a faithful servant, but then lastly, he was a fellow bondservant. That he wasn't, uh, that he had risen to the place of being a peer to Paul. It reminds me of when Jesus in the upper room says to the crew, I no longer call you servant, I call you friend. That Tychicus was a peer to Paul, and then he calls him the doulas a bondservant. The Greek word is a slave to Jesus. And it's interesting, you know, I think that Paul wore that title as a badge and he bestows it on Tychicus right here. In Romans 1, Galatians 1, Philippians 1, Paul uses this word doulos of himself. And so it's an honor when he says of Tychicus, you are a fellow bondservant. But what we also see is that Ty is an encourager. He's been one of the people to breathe courage into Paul, to keep his eyes on Jesus and keep going. And so Paul knows he'll do that for others. And so he sent him to be an encourager. But then it moves on to Onesimus. Now this guy Onesimus, and am with him Onesimus, Onesimus, our faithful beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation. If you want to know about Onesimus, go to the book of Philemon. I'll give you the rundown though real quick. So Philemon was a leader in the church at Colossae, and he owned slaves. And one of those slaves was Onesimus, and Onesimus ran away. He was a runaway slave, and he ran to Rome because he could hide in the city and be invisible. But God, in his goodness and in his plan, had Onesimus bump into Paul. And Paul introduced Onesimus to Jesus. And as Paul watched Jesus transform the life of Onesimus, it breathed the courage into him that he would tell us in Romans— When he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not because I'm brave, but because it is the power of God to change a life. And I've seen it in Onesimus. And so these two men are great encouragers to Paul. But like Smiley says, we have many heroes, but only one Savior, right? And it ain't Tychicus, and it ain't Paul, and it ain't Onesimus, it's Jesus. And so let's go look at Jesus, our model, our Savior. So we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 9. And by the way, if you have your Bible, it would be good to turn there. If you have a Bible, you should bring it on Sunday. It's a good idea. One time a pastor, taking to account it was West Virginia, he said that coming to church without your Bible was like going hunting without your gun. And so uh, um, anyways, Luke chapter 9, it says this, some eight days after these things, Okay, hit the pause button. What sayings? What are we talking about here? Well, if we jump back about a week into Matthew chapter 16, we see what they're referring to. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, we're about six to nine months before the cross. So April 7th, 9 a.m., 30 A.D., Jesus is going to get put on a cross. We back up to about July or early fall, and we see this account. And what it is is that Jesus has now become so famous over three years in Israel that he can't accomplish his mission to make disciples because he keeps getting interrupted by crowds wanting autographs and selfies and so jesus starts taking his crew outside of israel to work with them and on this occasion he goes up north to a pagan city called caesarea philippi you might remember this story and when he gets up there they're talking and it tells us from this time on he begins to teach them something he hasn't taught them he's been telling them the kingdom's coming The kingdom is here. I'm the king. I'm setting up a kingdom. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, now the bad news. How that happens. And he tells them in Matthew 16, it's not through a great victory. It's through the appearance of a great defeat. I am going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. And at this point, he's lost them, so they don't hear the next part. And I'm going to rise again. Um, they're just all tore up about the first part. And so this is when Peter, remember, he says, no way, we got your back. That ain't happening. We'll fight with you. They're not gonna, and Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. But here's the thing. When you go verbal with news like that, there's something that happens psychologically. You know, when you come home and you say, hey, the doctor visit didn't go well. They said, I'm terminal. Something changes. And for a week, Jesus has been sitting under the weight that he has now gone verbal about what's coming. And that, that path is scary and hard. And Jesus needs courage to keep walking in obedience. And the Father knows it. And so we jump back in to Luke chapter 9. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James. And he went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. And they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure. They're talking to him about what he announced last week, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So let's look at our model for how to be encouraged and how to be an encourager. The first thing we see in Jesus is that he went up the mountain to be encouraged. That Jesus was honest about his need for courage. That he was honest. You know, most men, you know, praise God that Jesus was perfect and not like the rest of the men and me, you know, who are like, no, I'm fine, everything's great, no, I'm good, I'm fine. It's so funny because I open the Bible and it says nobody's fine and nobody's good, you know, but every guy I meet is, like, no, I'm great, I'm good, you know? Jesus isn't like that. He's honest enough to say, man, life is hard. Life is scary. I need courage to walk this path. And so... Jesus, as the model that Paul would follow, stood strong, but he also didn't stand alone. We see him go up the mountain to be encouraged by the Father. In fact, what we see in the ministry of Jesus, as it goes further, the busier it gets, the more we see him slip away to pray, because he needs the Father to breathe courage into him. But the other pattern that we see in his life is he often doesn't go anywhere alone, And so he goes up the mountain and he takes Peter and James and John. This was a pattern in his life. How do you think Judas knew how to lead the guards to Jesus in the middle of the night in the dark? It's because Jesus had taken Judas many times, not just into Gethsemane, but to that specific spot where Jesus would pray when he was in Jerusalem. And so Jesus' pattern was to go up the mountain to be encouraged by the Father and by others. But he was also humble enough to let God determine how he would get that courage. I mean, look at this situation. God interrupts Jesus' plan. How weird would this be if the way the story played out is that Moses and Elijah stay, show up, guys who've been dead for a 1,000 years, you know, except for Elijah. He didn't die. He just, like, went to heaven, whatever that is all about. But anyways, those two guys have been gone for a 1,000 years. What if Jesus is like, whoa, no, no, no. The plan was that I'm coming up here to pray. And he held, white knuckled, clenching this false reality of control and saying, no, no, my plan was to pray. Guys, no, we're not doing this. Turn off this shirt, the glowing white shirt. Like, I'm praying. That would be super weird, huh? Jesus is humble enough to let the Father interrupt his plan. Jesus goes up the mountain to be encouraged he's honest enough to acknowledge the need and humble enough to let the father meet it but when we jump to mark chapter 9 verse 9 it says this that Jesus came down the mountain and then in verse 14 it tells us what he encounters he gets down there and there's a crowd of people and there's a young dude with demons in him and the Apostles can't cast him out and so Jesus shows up and he casts them out and so Jesus went up the mountain to be encouraged But he came down the mountain to be an encourager. That when he comes down the mountain, he's aware of others' needs. You know, if I was Jesus, I would come down the mountain and be like, bro, get the demon possessed guy out of here. You guys aren't going to believe this. We went up there, and all of a sudden, I started glowing. It was amazing. And then Moses and Elijah showed up. And you're not going to believe this. Elijah's way taller than you think he would be. And it was, you know, I'd be telling them all about me not Jesus. Jesus is listening to them. In fact, in Galatians 6, Paul teaches us the lifestyle of Jesus. It's not a lifestyle where every person I meet, I look at for how I can leverage them for my agenda. But it's a lifestyle where every person I meet, I look at how I can leverage who I am and what I have to help them. That it's a lifestyle where I don't go around looking and asking every person, hey, help me, help me, help me. But instead, I walk around saying, how can I help you? Jesus came down the mountain to be an encourager. And that began by being aware of their needs. But secondly, he made himself available for God to use him to meet those needs. Again, how awkward would it be if they brought the demon possessed guy and Jesus, is like, man, stinks to be you. Come on, guys. You know, that'd be horrible. No, he casts the demon out of this young man. He makes himself available for God to use. Well, what about us? What about us? Will you go up the mountain and be encouraged? Will you be honest enough to say, Life is scary. Life is hard. I need courage to keep going. It's hard to keep my eyes on Jesus. Everything in this world is so shimmery and shiny and and things are so difficult. Will you be honest about that? And then will you be humble enough to let God decide how you're going to get it? You know, it's interesting because Jesus... When he sets up his kingdom, he establishes a new normal. And in the New Testament, it's called the one another's. Over 40 times in the New Testament, the word words one another are used. And it tells us that we need to love one another. We need to serve one another. We need to forgive one another. More bad news. If you thought being a Christian was like this big hug fest of singing kumbaya, Man, you're going to get disappointed and offended real quick. <laughs> you, if, if you're doing life with me, you're going to get offended and need to forgive. So we got to forgive one another. we got to pray for one another. we got to bear with one another, put up with one another. But one of the one another's repeated more than once is encourage one another because God knows that life is scary and hard, and we need him to breathe courage into us from each other. And so here at Good News, The way we do that is on Sunday morning, we gather for worship. And we sing to God and to each other. And we hear others sing about the goodness of God and what he's done. And it gives me the courage to believe that he'll do it again. And Smiley opens up the word of God. And we hear the truth about a gracious God that loves us and gives him what God ever left the throne of heaven to die for those that rebelled against him. Jesus did. And we hear the truth of that. And then I walk out into the lobby, and more than once I see somebody with their hand on somebody's shoulder praying for them because life is scary. And I overhear an eavesdrop on your conversations. I know that's a little awkward, but anyways, you're in the lobby, it's public, and so I hear you breathing courage into each other because life is hard, and this Sunday we gather here so that Monday we could go out there and be salt and light in the darkness, but you know, in a big group like this, we can't really get to the next level. So God set up leaders in our church, and those leaders, through prayer and planning, decided that the way we're going to get to the next level is small groups. And so in our small groups, we have this opportunity to know and be known, to encourage one another. And you say, well, you know, i got to go to a small group. I don't really like small group. Well, evidently, God doesn't care because he brought you to good news, and that's how they skin the cat, you know? we got to encourage one another. If you've got a better idea, well... You know, do that, but here we do small groups. And uh, it's interesting because I can't even begin to count the number of ways courage has been breathed into me from the people of good news to keep going. I remember when I was installed as a leader in a different ministry, and Smiley drove all the way to that conference, and he went up on that stage, and he commissioned me to lead with my eyes on Jesus. <clears throat> and I couldn't believe that he would do that for me. And it breathed courage into me to lead well. And I remember on one occasion, something really gnarly had happened in my extended family. And I don't even know how I knew, but Pastor Dave Aukerman knocks on the door. I opened the door. We didn't even speak. She went straight through the house onto the back porch. And he wept with me, and he prayed for me, and God breathed courage into me through him to not give up and to keep going. For 11 years, almost without fail, we sat in the living room of the Baileys, Noah and Aaron, and many of you, and some folks that aren't even here, And we received courage to keep going in a life that is hard and scary, and we were used by God to breathe courage into others. I remember when <clears throat> I remember when uh, Chris and Allison Youngblood got married, and we saw God work in their life and it was like onesimus that we we saw the lord work in there and seeing the changes and the love it it breathed courage into us to keep our eyes on jesus what about you will you go up the mountain to be encouraged will you be honest enough to admit your need will you be humble enough to let god meet it the way he chooses But then, will you come down the mountain to be an encourager? Will you live your life constantly letting everyone know how they can serve you or aware of the needs of others? You know, in our church here, we have a lot of uh, young families with little kids. Man, that is a horrible time of life. That is like, it is so hard, like... You know, physically, it's terrible. Like, my kids are teenagers. They don't walk up and kick me in the groin, punch me in the face, you know. But when they were little, they did it all the time. They were monsters, you know. And, uh, I mean, other, other people's kids. And, um, but, but here's the thing. We have a lot of families like that, and sometimes they lose it and they grab the foam sword out of their kid's hand and break it over their knee and scream, you know, I told you to quit hitting your brother, and then they throw it over the fence into neighbor's yard. Sorry, I was having a flashback. And, uh, um, but, but other people at that stage, it's hard. And, and they need us to come alongside and say, hey, your failures are not fatal. There is grace in the gospel. And there might be a middle-aged person in your small group or your neighborhood, and they hate their job, and their job hates them, and they're exhausted, and they need us to come alongside and say, hey, your life is not futile. God has put you here. He has a plan, and even in the mundane, He can show His glory through you. Or maybe you're a member in your golden years at my home church, About seven, five years ago, something, they did a study and found that there were over 200 active members over the age of 80. So now, five, seven years later, you don't got to be a rocket surgeon to figure this out that now they're all dying, and all their friends are dying. And they need others to come alongside and lock arms and to say, Our death is not final. This is what we've been preparing for. Sprint for the finish line. Are we aware of the needs around us? But next, are we available? Are we willing to say to the chair one people in our life, people who have not yet been born again, people that haven't yet met Jesus, are are we ready and available to breathe courage into them to come and see Jesus? What about the chair two people in our life who have been born again? Are we ready to breathe courage into them to respond to Jesus' invitation when he said, follow me and help them learn their new identity in Christ, who they are and how to walk with him and how to pray and how to read the word? What about the chair three people in our church? Lord Jesus gives the invitation to follow me and learn to fish. Will we breathe courage into them? Because fishing is sometimes scary and it's sometimes hard. And I'm not talking about a rod and a reel. I'm talking about investing in humans and inviting them to Jesus. And what about the chair four people in our life? the disciple-makers, will we breathe courage into them to keep going and to go and bear much fruit? Because in the parable of the four soils, what we see that stunts the growth here is that the disappointments, the distractions, and the deception of wealth and things sidetrack us. Will we lock arms and breathe courage into each other to abide in Jesus? and to obey Jesus, and to engage in the mission of Jesus, to make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples. That the world might know there is a God in heaven that loves them. You know, this week our action point pretty simple. It's to be encouraged and be an encourager. You know, like Jesus and Paul and many others We can stand strong, but something I've observed in life is we cannot stand alone. And we don't have to. Because life is an adventure, whether you want it to be or not. It is scary and hard, and it requires courage. You know, it's interesting because Paul says that he locks arms with these men and these women, and he runs the race. And I think it's kind of funny that the person God has put to lead us is all into running, Pastor Smiley. You know, he's a runner, and uh, you wouldn't know that. But, But he loves running, and he used to run marathons, and he loves running. And I tell my kids, whether literally during track season or figuratively in life, that we want to be the kind of people who sprint for the finish line, not slow down. Like Smiley says, Too many people die before they die. They die too early, you know? We want to sprint for the finish line. And so will you lock arms this week with the men and women that God has placed in your life? Will you join Pastor Smiley and the staff and the elders and together run the race? Will you go up the mountain to be encouraged, honest enough to acknowledge you need it, and humble enough to let God do it? Will you come down the mountain and be an encourager to others by being aware of their needs and available for God to meet those needs through you? You know, it's it's incredible the model Jesus left us. Going up and coming back down. Will we follow it? You know, when I think about Kiama Blowhole, there ain't one chance in a million I'd have jumped into that thing alone. That I wouldn't have climbed over that fence. I was content to take pictures and not wear a wetsuit, you know. But together, with them breathing courage into me, I'm going to be honest. I'm really glad I did it. And in fact, little secret, psst, psst, I wish I could do it again. It was awesome. And what I've observed in people's life is that they don't get to the end and regret the leaps of faith they took for Jesus. But some, in their final days, hours, months, do wish, oh man, I wish I could just do it one more time, as they sprint for the finish line. And so this week, be encouraged and be encouraged an encourager. Let's pray. Daddy, there are people here who are facing scary hard things, and there are people that will be. And Father, in light of that, rather than become depressed and disillusioned, we get excited to see how you are going to fulfill your plans even in the face of it and like jesus we come up the mountain to you to breathe courage into us god give us the courage to go out of here this week and to sit with you and sit with others and receive courage and to go into the lives of others and breathe courage into them may we be a body that exists as salt light in this darkness and loves well for the glory of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.